thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Ron Wilson, CEO at InterviewStream and the host of Talent Storm, where we'll chat about everything that meets at the intersection of talent and organizational performance. We're focused on exploring the tips, tricks, and techniques for identifying and fostering talent and creating high-performance individuals, teams, and organizations. I'm excited to be joined today by Rob Kelly. Rob is a three-time CEO and is currently leading OnGig, which helps organizations attract the best talent in the world by transforming job descriptions. Rob has a fascinating professional background, having served in roles as a writer, editor, advisor, teacher, mentor, salesperson, in addition to starting several companies in the media, healthcare, technology, and HR industries. Rob is a lifelong learner who loves business and leadership and is committed to improving the world. Rob, welcome to the Talent Storm podcast. I'm honored to have you with me today. Thanks for having me, Ron. Well, hey, I, uh, I couldn't be uh, more pleased to have you on the podcast, given your background and in, in, uh, what you do um, today, but uh, also, you know, the journey that you've been on through, throughout your career. And, and so I'd love to just start with uh, sharing with our listeners a bit more about your background, including uh, what you're up to today at Ongig. Sure. Well, I'm a New York City kid originally. Uh, grew up there with my dad, um, kind of inspiring me to be a business person. So I worked for my dad on weekends and holidays, um, vacation summers, you know, probably from about 10. And so I learned to love business because he was an entrepreneur. He was really lucky. He went to Columbia and studied under this guy, Ben Graham, who's Warren Buffett's mentor. So Buffett graduated a couple of years before my dad. So I grew up on getting taught about Warren Buffett, you know, wow. um, Buffettisms. That was my lens to business. And I like to tell people if I had said that in, in my elementary school or high school, it would have gotten my butt kicked because <laughs> no, no one cared about Warren Buffett. No one even knew him back then, right. except for, you know, financiers and such. And so my dad, he just taught me to love business and treat it like a fun game and uh, think long-term as Buffett and Ben Graham would say and get to know management. He sent me to a shareholder meeting when I was 16 alone. So I walked into a room and it was a, it was a shareholder meeting. And then suddenly it was such a small business, Macintosh Labs, that it um, I didn't realize it, but suddenly I was in a room much smaller in a sort of a boardroom table and they started asking questions, yay and nay, and it was a board meeting. <laughs> and I was literally, I was, they were, I would vote, yay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And this old man next to me slapped my hand. He said, you don't get a vote, kid. <laughs> what are you doing here? So um, anyway, I started early on with business and then was lucky enough that uh, I hit the high tech wave. I was a journalist interviewing great, great tech leaders like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and and that turned me on to business. Eventually, I wanted to, uh, you know, go on their side, quit spectating and actually, you know, do what you do, Ron, run, run businesses, create businesses. And, and so I've done it a few times now. It hasn't all been uh, great. I think you said as a three-time CEO, there was kind of a fourth one that a company I bankrupted that I don't brag about too much. So, uh, but I have, you know, started businesses, sold them and bankrupted them. I'd like to give those as the big three so that um, folks know I, at least I've experienced a little bit of all aspects. Well, I, if, uh, if you're, if, if, if you're anything like me, it's, it's those experiences, the, uh, the, the toughest ones are the ones that, that you really learn the most and, and really, um, you know, prove who you are and what you're capable of. Absolutely. We'll never forget those lessons. 
Absolutely. So, um, you know, I know you're passionate about a lot of things. And uh, I know one of the things you're passionate about is music. And uh, I see right over your shoulder, you got your guitar there. And, yeah. um, and I wanted to acknowledge uh, for our listeners that they really need to go check out your blog posting because your December 2019 post was a fantastic rendition of a song that you actually performed with your wonderful son, Maverick. Wow, I really wanted that. to. Thank you. Yeah, I really want to acknowledge how cool it was that you put yourself out there and, you know, self-admitted, hey, I'm not the, you know, the greatest singer, but you're certainly, a, you know, a talented musician. And the fact that uh, you got your, your young son, Maverick, to do that with you, I thought that was fantastic. So just wanted to let you know I saw that and thought it was really cool and, and uh, really appreciate you, uh, you doing something like well, that. Well, we got great feedback on that. And you know what? Not a, not a single person said that I was any good. They all just said, your son is awesome. Wow, great job. <laughs> Isn't he cool? And yeah. uh, I had to clean up all the candy cane drool because uh, it was holiday season that he had from just, you know, he was still at an age where, uh, you know, sometimes he spits when he speaks or sings. So... <laughs> It just had a candy cane and my whole keyboard was sticky, but um, we did that because I was late on getting a holiday card out. So I said, all right, let's just do something live. Yeah, I thought that was very creative and I think just real illustrative of, of who you are and just somebody who I think uh, from all indications that I've seen is somebody who's always thinking outside the box and doing things differently and not just trying to keep doing, you know, the same old things. Ron, doing his homework. Well, you're finding all sorts of different pages. This is great. Absolutely. I can't. I, I'm kind of holding my breath about what's next. <laughs> well, hey, now you know. I wanted to get into you know. First area I wanted to talk to you about was talent acquisition because I know it's a it's an area that you're passionate about. Um, and uh, you know, I, I just you, you overtly come out and talk about your passion for talent acquisition and hiring. And, and the first thing I was curious about is you know what what drove that passion? Kind of where did where was that born? You know, it started with my dad when he said, you got to go out and meet management. Like, you know, there was a reason I was probably one of the only, you know, the only kid for sure, but at that shareholder slash board meeting. And, uh, you know, that was very much a Buffettism, right? Like get to know the person who runs a business that you're investing in, go figure. Yeah. Go to go down to wall street and ask, you know, a hundred people if they've ever met the leadership of a company they're investing in. And I'm pretty sure you'll get 99 no's. Right. Um, so, you know, we stole that one or my dad did from, from Buffett. And so I've always treated when I was a hiring manager before I got into HR with, with launching on gig, I always treated um, hiring as just the most important transaction in business that you can make. I mean, outside of a merger and acquisition, it's, I always call it a million dollar transaction, a hire. And we did some interesting research. If you look up the 80-20 of hiring, uh, Rob Kelly, you'll find some data around this that for the average company that hires, say, 100 people, if you want to be as productive a company as the S&P 500, the top performer out of those 100 is going to end up generating, on average, $30 million a year in revenue for your business. Now that's if you want to be an S&P 500. If you're a smaller mom and pop shop, obviously the numbers get smaller. But I think everyone, you know, most people aspire to reach a level where they can hire 100 people someday. 
And so literally it is a million dollar transaction. Number one is 30 million a year. Number two, three, and four are a couple million a year. And this is basic math, taking the 80-20 principle on steroids sort of. Um, and it's not perfect, but it really does um, give you a sense of how important a hire is. So I got turned on to hiring just to the value of a hire. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more important in business. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think, uh, you know, I always talk about um, hiring effectiveness versus hiring efficiency. And I, you know, I'm sure you can appreciate being in the HR industry, oftentimes, you know, especially recruiters are often, you know, being measured by time to fill and time to hire. So it's mm -hmm. about how fast can they get butts in seats? And I'm like, that's all wrong. It's like, it's, you really need to be focused on effective hiring, getting the right people in the right seats, because what that does is that, that creates tenure, that creates mm -hmm. engagement, that creates longevity, and that creates positive outcomes. And I just think, you know, too many people are, are playing a short game with it. And I love the fact that, you know, you're thinking about a longer game. And I'd love to even dig a little bit more into that if, uh, if you would. And, um, you know, specifically, I know, you know, looking for um, A players and hiring A players. I mean, do you have any, uh, you know, tips or tricks on how you go about, you know, uh, you know, finding and vetting A players and, and bringing them onto your teams? Yeah, well, and I have to give a shout out to, um, and, and we just chatted two weeks ago, he gave me a call to, to Brad Smart, the author of Top Grading. And I went and personally got certified in top grading um, from him. Uh, it was very important. My friends and I got together and pooled our money uh, maybe, I don't know, a dozen years ago or so. And we asked to be taught by the master, Brad Smart, who invented top grading. And his claim to fame was he, he got Jack Welch to um, train. He trained Jack Welch of GE back in the day. And something like, I forget the number, it could be 40 or 50,000 managers that they trained on how to hire A players, you know, the word used. I think Brad Smart invented that term, or at least he really popularized it and used it as part of his methodology. And he, Jack Welch was, you know, just convinced this was the most important thing he could do for GE. And their, their enterprise value went up again. It went up, you know, many billions. You could start to do that math, not revenue in that case, market value. Right. And, you know, I'm not that quick at math to, uh, to, to divide billions by 20,000 or 40,000 hiring managers, but it's definitely a lot of money each one of those um, people are worth. So um, I've always looked for, you know, and, 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 and the best know this, you know, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, I forget which said each, but one of them said the best programmer is a hundred times better than an average one or mediocre one. And the other one said a thousand times better. Oh, wow. So to your point about quality, that's a big number, you know? So I gladly at OnGig, for instance, I have gladly written over a million dollars worth of checks to a single hire because they're worth it. And to your point, longevity and tenure. You want to be paying them millions of dollars over their career. You want them to stick around if they're the best and stay with you. So it truly is a million-dollar transaction. I mean, this is it goes for both ways. They get a million for their household. Plus, if you hire someone good, you want them 5, 10, 20, 50 years. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. No, I, I, I love that phrase. I'm, I'm, I'm going to borrow it, if you don't mind. Because Do it. It's, you know, the, <laughs> the million-dollar decision 
that is being made. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, uh, and I think too often, the people who are making those decisions aren't prepared and, you know, the best capable of making those decisions. And so, you know, I'd love to lean in a little bit on top grading. Um, and, and, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, you know, what, what is it? And, you know, and how, you know, kind of, I know you wrote a, a wonderful article, you know, uh, top grading for dummies. So yep. uh, we can, we can put, we, we could point people there in the show notes, you know, to go check it out. But, uh, you know, would you, would you mind sharing a bit about top grading and, and kind of how, how people, um, how one would incorporate that into their hiring process? Yeah, well, I'll first share to you when we were on our way to Chicago to do the in-person top grading certification. It was about a dozen of us from my last business, Hot Topic Media. <clears throat> and um, I was reading the book that Brad Smart wrote called Top Grading. And it was, no offense to, to Brad, but he's much better in person this book was like a textbook. I felt like I was going back to school and I was never that great at school. And so I was a little nervous because I was looking at this thick book and thinking, how am I going to master these things? But when I got there, he was really good at breaking it down, he and his team. And really it came down to what I find there's really three things in top grading. One is super tricky now because of some laws. But if you didn't have the chance to get certified in top grading, I do recommend you, you read um, uh, all of his work and, and take the classes. But the big three tips are look for candidates with, to your point, tenure, long tenure, longevity somewhere. Um, I tend to look for average tenure of at least three years. Got to be at least three years. It does, it, it, the candidate might have had a bad job or bad role, unlucky for just a year or less, or two years, maybe once or twice, but it should average out that they're, they've been somewhere for a long time. By the way, if it's a new person candidate out of college, also look for even tenure in what they did in the past. Like you might find that they served at the same camp as a counselor for three straight summers. What does that say? The, the camp invited them back? Right. That's a pretty good qualifier. So tenure is number one. I look for an average of at least three years. And I love when I see someone who's been somewhere five, seven years, 10 years, if it's, you know, uh, a more experienced candidate, obviously, that you're looking for. So that's tip one. Number two is uh, this is the part that's now illegal to ask for. It's a, such a bummer as a hiring manager, but I understand why it's illegal. Their compensation over their career should be going up. It should be rising. I never know which way you're going to see this on the camera, but it should be going yeah. up the hill, right? It should be going yeah. up, up, up this right. way. It should go this way. Um, and that's just meaning that they made more money for their business and thus were paid more over time. It could be chunky like mine is. I put mine in that blog article you're talking about, Top Grading for Dummies, because, hey, I had some down years. I took some chances, but over time, it's gone up. So you want to find, and you can't ask that anymore in the U.S. It's against the law, um, for the most part, to ask that so, and for pay equity, and, and uh, it's a good reason. But you, you want that. So somehow you want to find that out or get a sense of it. You know, you could look at their resume and LinkedIn profile. They might have some data on how they were the salespeople, person of the year or something like that. And then finally, the third one is what's brilliant, and I can't believe more people don't do this. And most people just, they just 
sleepwalk their way through it, which is what's called the threat of a reference check. And what it means is when you're talking to a candidate, you start saying, oh, your manager was Susie. Um, when we talk to Susie, what's she going to say about your ability to be a good communicator? What's she going to say about your ability to close deals? Whatever the right questions are. You start to get the candidate in the mindset that you are going to talk to Susie. The references, not just a BS thing, we'll call your references later. No, like when I talk to Susie. So first off, threatening the reference check in that way, threatens a, lot, a strong word, but you know what I mean? Right. That um, That's going to scare away some candidates. And you'll notice real quickly. Right, the body language or just like, uh-oh, you're going to go talk to my former you know, manager. Yeah, they might forget the name of the hiring manager, <laughs> former managers. That's not a good sign. <laughs> right. Um, and But then you actually do call Susie and the rest. Now, I only call the references when it's serious because – in honor of the candidate. I don't want to waste their references time. Right. But when it's real serious, I'll then call them. And guess what? I won't just say, did you work with, you know, Tom, the candidate? I'll ask them questions to help coach me on being their next manager. Right. So I'll say, Tom said he was not the best closer. That's an area he needed to work on. You have any tips on how to maximize Tom's ability to close for when he works with me? You get free advice right there from his former right. manager. And then the truth will come out. If they don't remember Tom, bad sign. You know, Tom who? So this is the big three. I look for tenure, longevity of at least three years. I try to get a sense of have they been growing compensation-wise or in any other way over time. Uh, and then I, the threat of the reference check. All these are stolen from Brad Smart and Top Grading. I'm just giving you the dummies version because this textbook was too hard for me. Well, hey, I appreciate it because I asked for the dummy version because I resemble that. <laughs> and there's more detail on how I do a quick speed call in 15 or 20 minutes on this. If you look up that top grade for dummies. No, I, I, I did notice that you, you had like a, a 15 minute speed call where. Yeah. Like it, uh, oh, it's fantastic. It's one of the most satisfying things in the world. I say, give me your last five employers. I have them in front of me. Last five employers. So what was your hiring manager's name for each one of those? Then I ask them, uh, you know, hey, how'd you perform on a scale of one to 10 with that hiring manager? And then I say, what will the hiring manager say, a scale of one to 10, how you did? And then you start to get, maybe there's a disconnect. And that, so it's four or five quick questions, boom. Done. And, they, and they say, no one's ever asked them questions like this before. Their head's spinning, but they're impressed. And then you get what you need. That's, that's, that's awesome. my approach. <laughs> well, good. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, you know, um, Personally speaking, when I was doing uh, my research, you know, on you, I, I hadn't been familiar with top grading. And so, you know, when, as I was doing the research, I started, you know, looking into it and reading about it and haven't uh, quite, I, I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm going to buy Brad's book, no offense, Brad, but, uh, but I'm definitely going to read all the articles because I'm also not, <laughs> if it's really like academic oriented, I, it probably won't resonate well with me, but it's definitely something I'm intrigued um, to learn more about. And I really appreciate you sharing about that. And by the way, one postscript, Brad taught his son, Jeffrey um, Smart. He must've taught him a bunch because Jeffrey wrote a book called Who, and it's got some other tagline. I have it up here. Who's called, uh, here, I'll, I'll just show it for those who want to see it. No, it's just called Who. But anyway, this book, you can see how many things I got on here. Yeah. Look at that. I haven't 
I keep all these, my favorite books um, with all the little notes there. But he, his son wrote a book who, which is very easy to read and has great hiring tips. And you've probably heard of that one, but it's, um, that's a great starter book. And his son is super successful, Jeffrey Moore running, basically coaching on how to hire. And last I heard, he was in a Gulfstream uh, jet. So I think he sounds like he's doing all right. <laughs> sounds like he's, uh, he's figured something out. <laughs> yep. And there is a dark side to top grading, by the way, that some people misperceive, um, I would say, which is um, Jack Welch was known for being hardcore and hacking off the 10% the worst performers, mm-hmm. the C players. So there are A players that you want to hire, B players in the middle. Can you turn them into an A player or are they just, you got to give up on them. But then the C player is like, hey, you got to get them out, out of your business. And some people have a hard time with that. I believe in it. I believe if you do it the right way, you can get a C player out of an organization and somewhere else they can be an A player. Perhaps right. you put them in the wrong place. You got to give them a chance to become a, a B and then an A player. But sometimes they're just in the wrong place. They need to go somewhere else. And you owe it to them to get them there and not be in a continued C player because they know they're a C player in right. your organization. They feel horrible. Right. So and that's help not them fair to them. On. And yeah, it's not fair to them. It's not fair to the teams that they're part of or, or, yeah, or anybody. But everyone's brilliant at something. You just got to go find that next thing. Yeah, no, I, I love that approach. I think that's a, that's a, that's a noble and honorable approach. And because everybody, you know, should have the opportunity to be the best versions of themselves. And not every environment is, is going to allow that for everybody. Yeah, so I think, you know, what you just said was, you know, sometimes you've got, you know, people who are just in the wrong environment, but in the right environment, they can certainly, you know, shine. So yep. I love that. And congrats, you know, another area- Clovis, congrats to Clovis Point Capital for hiring you because <laughs> you are that person who they want to generate the 30, 50 million dollars in revenue market value. Um, it's kind of a good example, right? You're even smaller than the S&P 500 type company with interview stream, but they want that from you, right? They're looking for you Correct. to move the needle in that way. And uh, it's a million dollar transaction. Yeah, I, and, 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 and I wrote down that phrase because I, I think if, uh, if everybody in the HR world thought of it as a million dollar transaction, I think we'd get a, a, a tremendously better experience for everybody involved. Yep, agreed. But um, so, you know, a, a, another area, if you don't mind, uh, I wanted to pivot on is it, that I'm fascinated about because it's, a, it's an area that I'm also interested in is, is personality types. And, um, you know, and, and I'm just interested what, like kind of what got you going down the, the, you know, the fascination around personality types to the point where you've actually created a website and you give people, you know, all sorts of great information and access to, you know, determine their personality types based on, you know, a couple different models. You know, where, where did that all spawn from? Yeah, it's a great question. And in fact, it's a nice time of year to be talking about this because I'm thinking for next year about what I want to try to do in business and life. And I was reminded I have, let's see where I've got it. There it is. I got to make sure everyone's okay to, to do. I keep a stack of index cards on my, I don't know how well you can see this, but each one, these are all filled. Okay. They've all got something in it. And what I, I learned this online somewhere and I stole it like most things, you know, you riff on it. 
And anyway, there are things that I'm proud of. So I keep it on a stack and it's a confidence builder on those days where you, I'm sure you have these like everyone, which is maybe it's a down day at a bad call or, you know, something's wrong. And so, you know, I got little things raised a million and a half dollars for Mojam media and my first business, uh, sold calendar.com for 300 K cash back in the dot com crash kind of days, um, scored assistant to the CEO job. These are all things I was proud of in my life. It's taken me a while to do these. It's probably about 50. And I keep them to as a confidence booster. Well, one of them, I can't find it right now, but the reason I brought it up was one of them, and it's on YouTube, by the way, if you look up like, you know, index card confidence builder or something like that. I think I might have written about it too, but someone on YouTube and thought of it. Um, great, great exercise, by the way. So good. Hard to do though. Mm -hmm. for, for a lot of folks. Anyway, so um, one day I wanted to learn Google Analytics. And so I thought, well, the way to learn it is to write my own content. Uh, and actually, let me be more specific. I wanted to learn how to get Google to send me a lot of traffic. And so I decided, okay, well, I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to write content and I'm going to measure it on Google Analytics and I'm going to see how it all works. And so I picked something that I could do over a long weekend because I had a job, I was CEO at Hot Topic at the time, but I wanted to learn something new. I was, I was managing people, but not getting my hands dirty anymore. I was feeling like kind of stale. And so I thought, what do I, what do I know something about that might be of interest? And I just had learned about personality types. We had taken some training. And so I decided, okay, that's kind of niche. I'm going to write about the 16 Myers-Briggs personality types. And I'm going to measure what happens on Google. So I spent the long weekend writing a page on each of the 16. It's now on a site called toptypes.com. Toptypes.com. I, I just pulled up. I can't believe it still works because I haven't looked at it for I was years. on it earlier. <laughs> and so I then I started to think about, okay, I'll write a little bit about each type. And I wrote about it. And I looked on Google Analytics. No one's coming to the site. <laughs> Day one, seven days later, I think my mom visited, my sister. And then um, suddenly I started to get some hits and I looked at the keywords that people were searching on. And it turns out they were searching on things like, I'm an ISTJ, by the way. Do you know what you are, what your type is? Uh, E-N-F-P. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you're a big picture, connector, intuitive guy, great leader. That's a good one. So ISTJ, I started to write name, names of famous people who had that personality type. So I'm on the ISTJ page of top types right now. And um, Warren Buffett, Henry Ford, John Rockefeller were known to be ISTJs. And guess what? Suddenly, boom, I started to get Google traffic. And what was happening was people were Googling ISTJ Warren Buffett. Now, here's what happened. I, I started to think, why would they do that? Well, they, like me, took a personality test. They right. found out they were an ISTJ. And then they like Warren Buffett. So they said, I wonder if Warren Buffett's an ISTJ. And they would do that with a number of other people, George W. Bush, George Washington, Hillary Clinton. Starts to get interesting, right? George Bush and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started to notice all the traffic came in. So what I learned in that lesson, very valuable, was Google loves specificity. Mm. So for that person searching 
ISTJ, you know, Hillary Clinton, I was one of the only sites that had them up there. I got the traffic. And P.S., that weekend project led to a million hits on my website eventually for free. And that changed my life. I knew how to make the cash register ring or at least make the traffic ring um, from Google. All it took was one weekend little exercise. Highly recommend it. <laughs> well, you, you know, what's interesting is, is the fact that you're an ISTJ and all the people that you mentioned as ISTJs, I, I would think are like rather extroverted like by the positions that they were in, but it's like, it's just fascinating how they were naturally introverted people, but wound up in roles where they had to be extroverted. Yep. Right. Yeah. And you know, it gets miss the biggest misconception about personality types, in my opinion, is the extroverted introverted thing. So my wife and I even fight about it. I can't even bring this up with her or else it's like, I'm in the doghouse all day. It's just not worth it. Yet I still do it like once every two years somehow. Um, (laughs) But basically it's that I'm an introvert. Most people think I'm an extrovert, but the the definition of an introvert is where do you get your energy? I'm sure you know this. And I get my energy almost purely from myself. So while you and I are chatting here one-on-one, that's an introvert loves a short little group, a small little group. Right. Um, if you put me in a larger dinner with 12 people, um, I'll probably be more quiet, you know, and you'll notice the extroverts, you know, we all know it's that guy or gal just <laughs> talking endlessly and, and I like to listen and then absorb and learn. So um, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And also, by the way, people on stage, famous introverts on stage, they often feel like on stage is just them and the microphone. Right. They don't feel like they're in a big group. So some of the best speakers in the world are, are introverts, even though most folks would say they must be outgoing. Um, but at the mic, it's kind of just them and the microphone. It, it, it's funny. I tell people I'm a closet introvert. And people, uh-huh. it, because, you know, like I usually on these tests am really close. Like I'm always in yeah. the middle. Like I yeah. like none of it ever gets real polarized on any You're of it. You're a this. blend. You're like a fine right. wine. Yeah, I, well, I, <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody in this house who may not agree with that statement, but anyway, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, no, I just, you, you know, um, I just find it interesting how, uh, you know, th- these are labels, right. And it doesn't mean right. you're always that way in all situations. And, uh, but I'm just, you know, also wondering, do you, do you leverage when you're hiring people, do you leverage any aspects of personality types in that process? Oh yeah, big time. I mean, you have to be really careful because extroverted folks can come across as a real smooth talker. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, this, and 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 a bunch of our listeners here, I'm sure, have run into this. But you really got to be careful to about hiring the person who just is a smooth talker um, because they've learned to do this over their lives. Maybe they're just a natural. And the quiet person might be the more thoughtful person and the more, uh, the better fit for the role. So you just got to be super, super careful. I wrote a story, an article about how to hire a great five qualities of a sales superstar, for instance. And they should have 
a healthy amount of ego, empathy, be superior at core skill sets, good market knowledge, coachability. Um, now, notice none of those things say they should be the loudest talker or a smooth talker. So you, you really want to, it's well known that folks, um, sales folks, folks hiring salespeople don't hire enough introverted salespeople. They often hire the person who just sounds like the smooth talk, the, the car salesperson, you know? Right. Well, it's funny. And, I mean, I, we, we, we talk, I mean, given what we do, I talk to people all the time about, um, you know, conscious and unconscious bias. And I yep. use, I, I use the extrovert and introvert example often as, you know, if you're an extroverted person, you're going to naturally be biased towards other extroverts. And you get an mm -hmm. introverted person that you're interviewing, you're going to sit there and go, oh, my, I mean, you're going to struggle through that. And, um, but, but the reality is that person may be a phenomenal person for the role, but your bias is actually, you know, clouding your judgment. And, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, like uh, the stat you uh, gave uh, earlier around, you know, financial people never having, you know, met anybody within the companies that they're investing in. You know, I, I think there's, you know, the stat I use that's similar to that. If you ask 90, you know, a hundred people how, um, who are interviewing people, have you ever been trained on interviewing? Mm. 99 out of 100 are going to tell you no. Isn't that amazing? But, wow. but, but we have these people who are making million dollar decisions, as you put it. And if it, they've never been trained on how to effectively interview, whether or not they're using a technique like top grading, or they're using any other behavioral or personality type, you know, uh, methodologies. It, it's really just sad. I think at the end of the day that, these are such crucial decisions that are going to be, you know, incredibly impactful on a business's ability to be successful or not. And it's all getting shortchanged. In fact, one that, of my, you know, one of my favorite things to do is reach over and, and grab my strategies of effective hiring from 1964. <laughs> nice. And we haven't evolved. <laughs> Some things don't change. Exactly. But hey, I think, you know, you know, people like you are actually, you know, driving change and, and, and uh, certainly uh, appreciate uh, what you're doing there. Um, you know, another area I just wanted to quickly, you know, um, uh, chat with you about it, because again, it's just something I've learned through my, uh, my research um, about you is um, mental models. Mm. And, um, and just, you know, I'm really interested in how you leverage, you know, first off, you know, just describe like what a mental model is for people. And then one, you know, kind of, are there any mental models that you use on a regular basis that helps you succeed in business? Yeah. And so my, you know, my very favorite book um, in the world is by, uh, and I hate to ever pick favorites, but like if I had to give a gift of a book, um, is poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand partner, minority um, shareholder in, in Berkshire Hathaway, but the older of the two, which is amazing. And um, basically, he's the one who really turned me on to mental models. And what I heard was that he and Warren Buffett, this is Charlie Munger and, and Buffett, they would make their decisions based on what they called a a lattice work of models that they had. And they would never give them all, they, but they, I, so, I read enough where I realized they're probably talking about close to a hundred mental models. 
So I started a little article, you know, on robdkelly.com about these mental models. My goal was to hit 100. I think I hit about 25 and I got distracted. So I'm going to have to go back to it. Thank you for reminding me that I'm, I got an incomplete on this one. But mental models to me are just systems to get something done. So um, that's my version of this. Any system that can accelerate your success and make give you a better way to make a decision on something and progress on something. So a couple examples of mental models to me, my definition at least, um, one would be that, you know, folks, you already brought up, I forget which, but you brought up some bias C um, bias um, early, earlier on. And there are a number of biases such as confirmation bias, which is really the bias of kind of confirming something you already know, you already think you know. So um, there's inversion, trying to turn something inside out, look at it from the opposite end of the telescope, you know, turn it around, um, invert the problem. And so these are all just little models that I think we all have in some way. There's the 80-20 principle we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, that alone is a game changer that 80% of your value is coming from 20% of the things. It's almost always true. Right. Sometimes it's more like 90% is coming from it. Um, but it's a basic rule. It's just a core rule. So I think the more of these you can know, um, another one is uh, reciprocation. Mm. That's a mental model. If you do something for someone, they're much more likely to do something back for you. Right. Well, guess what? You should also probably do something for someone when you don't need something back. Right. So that way I want to help you, Ron Wilson. You know, you're kind enough to invite me on this podcast. I love it. I love chatting with you. And, um, but, you know, assisting you in some way, well, I, I might need some help myself one day. I might need you to be on a podcast. And so you are way more likely to help me someday based on me helping you a month ago or something. So for today. So anyway, these are some basic things, social proof, other people doing things. Um, if you see a lot of people doing them, you know, you're more likely to be influenced by it. Doesn't mean it's right. You got to watch out. So these are powerful things, but I think it's the combination of using a handful in your decisions to, to come to the right decision. And that's what I hear Buffett and Munger have done and a couple hundred billion dollars in market value later, I'm, uh, I'm sold. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the folks that, uh, that you've uh, been, been getting coaching and mentorship from uh, throughout your, your years have certainly um, proven themselves to, to be wildly successful uh, using these techniques. So um, I'm uh, eternally grateful that I've stumbled across these things, you know, while doing research for you, because, you know, I'm going to do more research on top grading, because I think that's an important aspect of of interviewing, and I think it, you know, it's something we as a company could also help, uh, you know, incorporate into what we do. Um, I think the conversation around personality types and and understanding your personality types and the personality types of other people, I think that's an incredibly important thing to to be successful in life. And then finally, understanding mental models, and and I think, like you say, um, I, I, I think like um, I believe what you said, um, you know, a lot of people 
have mental models and are using mental models, I think a lot of people may not consciously realize how they're using it. And, and really what I love with that, that you've done is you've taken a real conscious approach to understanding the myriad of, of mental models that exist and then leveraging them kind of as, you know, as they fit with what you do. Is that a, a fair uh, assessment? Absolutely fair. Yep. Well, cool. Well, I love it. Well, there, you know, there's one last area I, 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 uh, I had to dig in with you on because I'm incredibly fascinated with your background um, in interviewing um, and specifically interviewing leaders. And I know, you know, uh, two, two folks that uh, you've, you've already mentioned, you know, um, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. I mean, two luminaries, people that have arguably changed the world. And I'm just wondering, you know, um, as somebody who's, you know, new to podcasting and interviewing folks like that, you know, like yourself, you know, is there any uh, tips or tricks that you have for me on, you know, how you went about approaching interviewing uh, talented folks like yourself? Well, I wish I had recorded, uh, you know, my interviews with them. Back then, it wasn't as easy and um, to do. I wish I had all the, I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes, but yeah, it was kind of fun. I'm so lucky to get to interview each, Bill Gates a few times, Steve Jobs just once um, on the phone. I did get to ask Steve Jobs a question um, uh, at, a, at a conference that got recorded on YouTube. So uh, a mini little interview, if you will, which was fascinating. And actually he was sitting next to Bill Gates. So it was kind of fun because I had already interviewed them both and I stood up in the crowd and took the microphone and asked him both a question. And you know, what just strikes me about, um, well, for one, I was coached before I went in for the Bill Gates interview. His PR people said, you better have good questions. And I said, well, I, I think I've done my homework. And I said, but what do you mean? Because they looked extra worried. They said, he'll walk out of the room Ooh. if you are boring him. So I really had to do my homework on it and ask him. I was asking him some pretty not tech, technical questions, not, not technology technical, but specific questions about Microsoft's business at the time. He was known by the way, he's, he's a rocker, you know, certain people, when you chat with them, they rock. Mm. Um, it says from, from when you're a baby, you know, maybe you just kind of rocked. And he, they said, if he's rocking, you know, you're asking good questions. <laughs> and he didn't rock for the first couple, but then I got oh, a little boy. bit. And then he was just rocking. Guess what? I was rocking too. I was like, this and is you great. were rocking and rolling, baby. And so, you know, just be prepared. And these are people who are very smart and don't ask the BS questions about it. And um, with Steve Jobs, it was a little different. He was at a down point in his life. And so I was very lucky that he needed, it was a great lesson that even a Steve Jobs once in a while needs a little helping hand. And so his PR people said, no, no go. You're not going to get an interview with him. And I said, okay, I tried. And then one night I'm working in, my, in, in San Francisco and the phone rings. Luckily I was working late. I was young and didn't have any life. And the phone rings and, um, and the guy says, uh, hey, this is Steve. I said, Steve who? And, you know, I think it is like a friend of mine. I said, Steve yeah. Jobs. And I said, yeah, right, right. I thought it was a prank. He goes, no, no, I get this all the time. It's really me, Steve Jobs. <laughs> you asked my PR people to get an interview and here I am. What do you got to answer or ask? And with him, it was all about um, finding what he was passionate about also, which was designing beautiful computers. 
and he was he had just been fired from Apple. Mm. He hadn't yet been hired back. So he was in between. So I lucked out. He was at a down point. Big lesson there, by the way, I call it. Um, always keep in touch with fallen stars. Mm. Obviously, Steve Jobs, it's easy. He's Steve Jobs, right? I mean, but people, everyone we know has a downtime. They get laid off. I mean, last year, who knows, right? How many people, think of all the eight players that got laid off. Right. Give them a helping yeah. hand up the ladder. They need just one rung. So in this case, I just asked Steve about what he loved, which was designing beautiful computers. And by the end of the call, he was pumped because he was doing all the talking and I didn't hear any of the jerk Steve Jobs that everyone talks about. And um, we had a great call. So just basics, being prepared and, and finding out what the other person cares about and sit back and listen. <laughs> well, I, uh, I appreciate that advice and guidance. And, and like I said, I was you know, just fascinated. You, you've had the opportunity to interact and interview some, some really fascinating people. And as I'm embarking on, on my journey, wanted to, uh, to get a little bit of a tidbit from you. Um, is there well, you're a great else? interviewer and your homework. Look at your preparation. You know, I've done a lot of these types of calls and, and LinkedIn lives and podcasts and um, and you did your homework. You, you brought up stuff that people haven't asked me about for, for a while. And that's, um, I really appreciate that. I'm grateful for it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, that feedback. And uh, I, th I, I agree. I think it's important, you know, to always do your homework in, in any interaction you're going to have, whether it's, you know, this type of interaction, a business interaction or, or, or whatnot. So um, appreciate that feedback. Um, you know, is, is there anything else you'd like to cover today before we wrap up? You know, if any of your listeners need help with um, eliminating boring and biased job descriptions, that's what we're on a mission to do at OnGig and just go to our site, check things out. We uh, try not to sell. We replace the word sell with teach and share. So there's a lot of free content. Um, you know, we're the number three recruiting blog in the U.S. and it's based purely on our content. We just give it away for free in hopes that it helps you. And then if you need help with job descriptions, you keep us in mind because we are a for-profit and we do sell job description software solutions. And when the time's right for you, just ping us or ping me at Rob, you know, Rob Kelly. I'm on LinkedIn or, um, and I'm at Rob at OnGig.com. You can just email me directly. I check all my emails. That's awesome. So we'll make sure uh, to put all that contact information into the show notes. I'd also encourage everybody to go check out OnGig and, and Rob is not uh, kidding at all when he talks about the amount of content that he produces and that his team, you know, provides out there is just exceptional. And um, I highly recommend you, you all check out uh, robdkelly.com as well as ongig.com. And, and uh, like I said, we'll put in the show notes the other ways you can get in touch with, with Rob. Well, that's a wrap for our conversation with Rob Kelly. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you prefer to get your stream. We'd also really appreciate it if you provide us with a rating and review. If you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to contact us at talentstorm at interviewstream.com. Rob, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Ron. It's all good. Cheers, everyone.